Welcome to a very special podcast. We are privileged to have both Dr. William Lane Craig and Dr. J.P. Moreland at the same time today. This is the 20th anniversary of the book, Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview. Before we jump into the book, and we're going to look at some of the highlights of the book and, and talk about some of the background things that went into this writing, 20 years um, Let's talk about your long relationship as friends and colleagues. Dr. Craig, how did the two of you meet? Well, I had heard of J.P. Moreland for many, many years before I ever had the opportunity to actually meet him in person. In Campus Crusade for Christ circles, the name of J.P. Moreland was legendary. And so Jan and I were familiar with this uh, man long before we met him. Now, Jan and I moved to Europe for quite a number of years. We lived in Belgium for about seven and a half years. And I can't remember that I ever met JP during that time. I'll have to defer to him. I'm not sure I met him uh, before we actually began to collaborate at Talbot School of Theology. So, JP, do you have any recollection of our first meeting? You know, I, I don't. That's different from yours. I do recall the first time I think I discovered you <laughs> uh, in person. I believe that it was uh, 1973 oh. at the Institute of Biblical Studies. Uh, and that's a summer training camp for Campus Crusade now crew staff members. And there was an elective on the existence of God, and I believe it was taught by J. Edwin Orr, if I'm not mistaken. He was a well-known uh, historian and had almost as many degrees as Bill. But um, I remember sitting in that class, and I, I was the sort of staff member that read Rudolf Bultmann and uh, read, read atheist literature. And most of my staff friends just weren't into that. And so it was a fairly small class. And I can remember there was this one guy. And every time he asked a question, I, I thought to myself, now that is a darn good question. I was thinking similarly or, or else not. But I just felt a kindred spirit with him. And um, I don't think that I introduced myself to him at that time, but I, I made note of who, he, of who he was, and I recognized that we were just on the same page. And it wasn't until uh, his doctoral dissertation on the Kalam argument came out that I, I actually got a copy of it and, and, and poured through it. And uh, it was... So good, uh, and I, I began to to weave it into some of my, the the natural theology that I believe, but in, in, and so he influenced me there. But I don't think it was until uh, the official time that we connected through Talbot that we first met. But but I believe me, I I was acquainted with this fellow, <laughs> and he stood out to me years before that happened. Let me ask you a question, JP. Oh, this oh, fellow. No. This fellow at IBS, was he wearing a floppy brown hat turned up in the front and uh, torn off uh, shirt with no sleeves on it and 
uh, uh, kind of a necklace with a dog bone around his neck. He, he was sort of a sophisticated hippie. And that was uh, me. That was <laughs> you. Yeah, I know. And I, but you know what? I could have cared less because the questions coming underneath that ad were, were pretty good questions. Wow. Yeah, you were pretty weird, I got to admit. I was. Do you remember a Campus Crusade staff member named Martin Morgan? You know, I, that, I can't place that name. Okay. Martin went on to work in Ireland. And when we were in Ireland, years later, after finishing my doctoral work in Birmingham, um, we were working with him in an outreach in Dublin. And one afternoon, he came home where we were staying. He was so excited and he was yelling, I know you! I know you! You were that guy at IBS in the hat! And I said, yeah, that, that was me. And it was so funny because he was saying, look what this crazy guy that I thought was a loser and a lunatic turned out to be. And it was really a, quite a sobering realization. It was so funny. When, when that is a great that. story. That's a great story. <laughs> Dr. Craig, if you still have that hat, we could probably auction that off. Uh, oh, I don't want to give it up. Oh, you still have <laughs> it. Okay. I got it. It's on the... Uh, it's on the shelf in my closet, but that was one of the things that yeah. I had to give up when I married Jan. She said, your appearance puts people off and you are hindering the gospel by putting a barrier between you and other people. Hmm. Uh, and boy, I don't think anything else she could have said would have convinced me to change my attire and appearance. But for me, that was the trump card. I did not want to do anything that would stand in the way of the gospel. And so that hat has remained on the shelf all those years. Well, my wife made me give up tube socks. So that was her contribution to that. Uh, Dr. Moreland, this is not the only project that uh, the two of you have collaborated on. What else have you collaborated on? Well, we edited together a book with Rutledge uh, 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 philosoph on philosophical naturalism, where we gathered together uh, a pretty high-level group that uh, contributed to a critique of, of philosophical naturalism. And we co-edited that and uh, wrote the introduction. <clears throat> then we also collaborated on, on uh, a book called The Blackwell Companion to Natural Theology, uh, where uh, that's pretty fairly well known. So that was another work on which we collaborated. And then there were a number of books that came out of, uh, oh, the e EPS Apologetics Conference or mm -hmm. papers that were read that, that came out as popular works for the general public uh, that were apologetic in nature. And, and, and he and I were a part of the number of those together. Uh, but uh, if I may say, uh, the, the reason I have uh, so admired and 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 loved bill both as a fellow soldier of the lord but as just a friend it is is two things and and the first is that he got the fact that as a christian philosopher one of our very first duties to jesus christ was to make a rigorous contribution to our profession uh, i think everybody who's called to do a job has an obligation 
to do that job well for Christ's sake. And, uh, and, and I admired him for wanting to elevate the standard. And, and, he, and I, he's kept me on my toes over the years, uh, and I've appreciated that a lot. Uh, the other thing was that even though he saw philosophy as having value in its own sake, uh, for its own sake, th there was no doubt that this, this gentleman was uh, committed to the Great Commission and, uh, and, and evangelism and pre-evangelism and building disciples that were confident about their faith. And that's what my life has been about. And, and so uh, those were two things that at the, at the level of deepest held values, um, Bill and I have shared uh, four decades together and that, that, that plus we've been really able to be open with one another when we've needed to just talk about our personal lives and so on. And there's just been a great respect and friendship uh, between us. Uh, no spirit of anything but collegiality, no competition, none of that. Uh, I think both of us have, as it's awkward to say, but a, but a fairly humble heart. And we both recognize this isn't about us. It's about something much bigger than we are, and that's the source of our meaning in life. So th that's one of the reasons why we found it quite easy uh, to, to collaborate on projects, because we both were about the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that was a fundamental issue that meant a lot, I think, to both of us. And I'd like to add that the Department of Philosophy at Talbot School of Theology, which JP helped to found, reflects the commitment to those same two values. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be associated with a department like that. So back in 1994, when JP invited me to begin to teach part-time at Talbot, uh, I began to do so, and uh, up until the pandemic, every year I would be involved in teaching out at Talbot because it's such a wonderful community of scholars committed to philosophical excellence and to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Dr. Moreland, how did the idea of writing Philosophical Foundations come about? Did one of you approach the other to broach the subject? How did that happen? Yeah, good question. I... Uh, had a, you might say, just a passion and, and sort of a vision uh, among my published works to have some of them be written for the Christian community that played, that elevated their game, but wasn't so far above that they couldn't read it. And, and so I made a distinction between my, my academic published work and uh, scaling the Secular City and other other books, but I wanted to see an intro text that that was uh, directed to Christians and in the development of a Christian worldview, philosophically informed Christian worldview. That was, if I just may say, uh, more thorough and rigorous than anything that had been out there, but would still be accessible to. Uh, people who were interested in this sort of thing. And so I approached a colleague about uh, doing this together and we began to work. And uh, over the next few years, um, I was able, because I had a sabbatical to write, I don't know, somewhere around 13, 14, 15 chapters. And this, this brother, uh, for, for various reasons, was not able to continue with the project. And um, so, 
the very first person in my mind, and had I known him when, when I started with the project, would have been my first choice, was Bill. And so I contacted him. I said, look, this is what we've got going. Can I send you some of the stuff I've written? Would you be interested? Well, I mean, you know, he said, let me pray about it. And about two seconds later, he said, I'm in. And so <laughs> we just, we were on the same page about the type of book it would be. And uh, it just, it came about that way. And so uh, I must say that that Bill really would have been my first choice if, if, if I'd known him uh, at that point. And, and, and I just didn't know him well enough to, to announce that. But it worked out and we and i believe that in the providence of god because this book has had an impact to, in people's lives that, that are just far beyond what i would have imagined on to be really honest with you and uh there's obviously some kind of a hand divine hand on this thing and i i, I it's over my head and i and i think bill would say the same thing in the in the impact it's had i have no clue how this has happened but we're sure grateful and God had a had a providential role in bringing us together to write this book. So I believe that this was on God's mind and that he wanted us to do this together. And he uh, providentially brought about the conditions where we were able to uh, develop the book. I'm curious of what the process was of writing the book. I suppose that the two of you got together, maybe outlined everything and then filled it in. Dr. Craig, you want to address that first? No, it wasn't like that. By the time JP approached me about this book, he had already written the bulk of the book, and he simply needed someone else to fill in certain other areas that he did not want to write on himself. Principally, they were the chapters in philosophy of religion. And so we largely wrote independently of each other. We, of course, read the other person's chapters and commented on them, but we didn't interfere with the writing uh, of the other person. And so JP wrote most of the chapters. I did the chapter on logic and reasoning, and then I did a chapter on the philosophy of space and time, which was very near and dear to my heart uh, because of my work on divine eternity. And then I did all of the chapters on the philosophy of religion. Well, and Bill also did a chapter in the epistemology section oh, uh, yeah, on yeah. Uh, religious <laughs> epistemology. Right. So, you know, it was probably 60-40, maybe 65-35, but it was, you know, it was in that ballpark. And you made us, we both made substantial contributions. But but what this says, uh, Kevin, is that we just trusted each other. And um, uh, there, there were, well, I can only recall maybe one area where we disagreed uh, and, uh, uh, and we, we, you know, we don't we don't agree about uh, Platonism, and so when we wrote that chapter, I wanted to give Bill uh, full sway to write whatever he wanted to write. I had already written a chapter in metaphysics where I talked about this, and so what we decided to do when he was writing this in context of God's aseity mm -hmm. is that he would. He developed his chapter, and then what I would do is I'd plug in an objection, and then he would respond to it, and then I would 
come up with maybe another one. And so we, it ended up being a very nice exchange back and forth. In fact, we were, it wasn't like we were trying to get one another. If I felt like I could polish his response and help it, or he, my, you know, statement of, of uh, something, we did that. And so I think that, that that was maybe the only area where we needed to kind of team up. Uh, and uh, it turned out that that was, a, was actually a blessing uh, in the book and worked out just very nicely. And, and Dr. Moreland, as I recall, you had a bumper sticker that said, I break for yes. universals. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Craig has one that says, I don't break for yeah, universal. Yeah, that's right. But I've well, never hit one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, that's the way it goes. But, you know, I actually, I'm in California, and I actually pulled into a gas station once, and I was filling my car, and I had the I break for universals around my back license plate. So this other guy's filling his car with gas, and he says, hey, hey, what, what do you mean I break for universals? And, and 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 I so it's it's a long story. So well, no, I, I tell me what it is. I say, well, there are these things that are sort of objects outside of space and time, and because of that, you you can't actually run over one of them. And so the idea of trying to break because you're seeing one on the road is 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 kind of an absurd idea. It's meant to be a joke. He says, oh, I thought it was maybe one of those sexual things where you were kind of, you know, <laughs> you, know you were universal, you know. <laughs> so, you know, people misunderstand uh, universal. It was funny. You know, the title of the book is thought-provoking in and of itself because it suggests that there are philosophical, philosophical foundations at the base of the Christian worldview. Now, some people balk at that. We've had people literally push back uh, during some podcasts saying that the foundation is the, the Bible, the scripture, not philosophy. Uh, two things, how did you come up with the title and, and how do you respond to objections like that, Dr. Craig? Well, JP came up with the title, as I recall, but it seems to me that the answer to the question would be that there are both philosophical and theological foundations to a Christian worldview. So obviously you have uh, theological foundations laid in scripture for a Christian worldview, but that doesn't answer all of the fundamental questions uh, that are raised by these theological doctrines. And therefore, there are also philosophical foundations that will include, for example, certain metaphysical uh, theses like the existence of God, the reality of the soul, um, the objectivity of moral values. And then there will be epistemological theses to which one will be theologically committed, like the objectivity and knowability of truth. And so there are both theological and philosophical foundations to go to make up a Christian world and life view. Dr. Moreland, do you ever run into that objection that you're uh, founding your, your faith on philosophy rather than the scriptures? I, yes. Um, uh, with regard to the book, I, I think just to fill out Bill's answer, which I agree with, I, I think you could simply add that, you know, our book's already hernia-inducing, so uh, we, you can't cover <laughs> both of these aspects adequately in one book. 
the fact that we chose to focus on one aspect has, implies nothing about our valuing the other. It, it was a limitation that we didn't want to do a two-volume set, and so that, that's the reason we, we've zeroed in on this particular aspect. But I think that this objection tends to come from uh, uh, certain kinds of sort of old-school reform thinkers uh, who were along the lines of, say, Cornelius Van Til or Greg Bonson or people like that, that, that thought that, that, that giving evidence uh, uh, somehow placed something over the Bible's authority. And um, I, I, just, I just respond by saying that um, when, you're, when you're within the faith, the scriptures are clearly my ultimate authority in that if something contradicts the scriptures, it's, it's false. And, and, but, but being within the faith, it does not follow that, that it is not helpful to growing in one's faith, that there are appeals to argument and evidence that, that strengthen uh, the grounding for uh, your confidence in the authority of the scriptures. And Paul appeals to all kinds of things in the book of Acts. He persuades people. He, he appeals to uh, literature from uh, uh, pagan writings about God and, and, uh, and, and the prophets in the Old Testament use kind of a causal argument that the finite deities are not real uh, because he says, look at this effect. It's massive. Now, how can that puny little God you worship, by the way, when he falls over, you got to prop him back up again. How is that going to explain all of this? And the, the, the understand, implicit assumption is that that, is, that cause is not adequate to explain this effect. Now, that, that's obviously what they're getting at, uh, but, but it's not explicitly stated. The field of philosophy can help make that explicit so you gain greater insight into the text. If you're outside the field uh, of, of the faith, then I, I think it's entirely biblical, uh, both through the Old and New Testaments, to provide evidence and uh, argumentation and, and things of that sort that are extra biblical uh, uh, to, to help answer people's questions and uh, 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 deflect some objections that might be holding them up. So this seems to be the way the, the apostles practiced evangelism, and uh, it seems to be uh, important for discipleship, uh, as in Colossians, where Paul is thoroughly familiar with the sort of the pre-Christian Gnosticism in Colossae, uh, and he uses that in his writings to say that, that pleroma you got there uh, I got good and bad news. The good news is there is a pleroma, a mediator between God, but it's not that hierarchy of things you got in there. It's Jesus. And so he, he takes their own philosophy and relates Jesus to it when it's appropriate. And I think that's what Bill and I were doing, especially his section on uh, the philosophy of religion and philosophical theology. He's, he's merely trying to use the tools of philosophy to un unpack and, and to clarify and to rule out errors in people's attempt to systematize a biblical picture of God. And so there, a philosophy is just a, a, a tremendous 
source of help. So it isn't an either or there in, in, in my opinion in so many ways. Okay, let's stop right there for today. And if you thought part one was good, wait until you hear part two next time. And by the way, if you have not downloaded the Reasonable Faith app, be sure you do that. Go to reasonablefaith.org. You can download it, have instant access to all the resources from Reasonable Faith right there on your device. While you're at reasonablefaith.org, please consider giving a financial gift to the work of Reasonable Faith to help us continue to produce great content like this that reaches the world. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time on Reasonable Faith with Dr. William Lane Craig.